0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash L.A. Slant. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com forward slash L.A. Slant. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome Andy Benoit to the L.A. Slam Podcast. You follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Benoit. Does outstanding work for the MMQB. Andy, I appreciate you joining me, buddy. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. I was uh, I, I was telling you off air, I was really excited to have you on uh, to talk about your recent piece where you spent 24 hours with Sean McVay. But, but Andy, this goes back even further. It was like almost exactly a year ago that you wrote a piece entitled He's the Best NFL Head Coaching Candidate and He's 30. Uh, what caught your eye that led you to write about Sean McVay a year ago?
1: Um, I, I've gotten to know McVay over the years. I've gotten gotten—I've been fortunate to get to know a lot of coaches over the last five or six years, and I've gotten to know and spend quite a bit of time around McVay. And the more I've learned the game from coaches, and I've spent a lot of time watching film with McVay. So, I mean, hes he's taught me like he teaches his players in some regard. And The more opportunities I've had to do that with coaches around the NFL, the more McVay has stood out and differentiated himself. He is an excellent communicator. I think he really benefits in his communication. It's easier for him because he knows a lot. and It's easier to talk when you have something to say and when you know what you're talking about. And McVay always knows what he's talking about. He has an answer. And if he doesn't, he's got reasons why there is no clear answer and, he's an ongoing learning process for him. So he's a unique guy and I've kind of wanted to keep an eye out for other head coaching candidates out that people probably don't know about. McVay really wasn't on the radar this time a year ago, uh, but I have not seen another one that has differentiated himself the way McVay has not saying it's not out there. I don't know every coach, uh, but McVay has been a unique guy for some time now.
0: Yeah, and it was it was really cool to see him kind of climb the ranks at Washington and actually go from the Shanahan coaching staff to, to Jay Gruden's coaching staff. I think that's very rare in the NFL. Um, I encourage everyone to read both pieces that Andy wrote on Sean McVay, the one last year and then the one where he recently spent 24 hours with him during OTAs. Andy, now that he's in that head coaching chair, uh, did you notice anything different about him when you got together with him this offseason?
1: Uh, no, not at all. He's, he might be a little bit busier um, now, and until... so... Uh, but that's to be expected. A lot of that's just the product of the, the first year on the job. Everything's brand new, so he's doing things for the first time. So he'll he'll get a little more back to normal as time goes on. But um, no, there hasn't been any difference in his characteristics at all, in the way he communicates with players. I think he's
0: I think he's the same guy. What do you think the learning curve is going to be for him? managing a team I know he, he's built a very experienced coaching staff you talk about Wade Phillips and Aaron Cromer and then Lafleur, who he had a relationship with in Washington uh, what do you think is going to be his biggest challenge in year one
1: um well that's a good question he, you know he, he hasn't had to make game management decisions before I would imagine he'll be fine on that and he'll probably if if he doesn't feel fine he'll have someone that will oversee a quality control type of guy that will help him with it. A lot of coaches do that. A lot of first time coaches do that. Um, and he was wise to have Wade Phillips and that really probably helped him get the job in a lot of ways, because that's basically another head coach. You basically have two head coaches there in Los Angeles and Wade Phillips can run the defense and, uh, McVeigh loves to bounce stuff off of people. He is—you spend what you notice noticed is when you spend 24 hours with him, he'll repeat the same conversation he had with four or five different people. He'll say he'll say his piece the same way every time, and he wants to hear everybody else's reaction and everybody else's point of view. Um, so he, I w- I don't think anything's going to really catch him off guard. He has a lot of experienced guys around him.
0: When you guys got up, gosh, it was before 4 a.m., it sounded like, looking at the video and, and, and reading your piece. The burnout factor, I know he's a football junkie. He, he talked about it yesterday in his training camp press conference, how you know, he had to try to unplug a little bit this offseason. Do you think he grasps the importance of kind of pacing himself for, for a season and leaning on that experience coaching staff?
1: Honestly, I don't think he's got it yet. We had a long conversation about that uh, kind of after the 24 hours. We, we spent a little more time together afterwards. So it was, uh, it was, I guess, off the record. I don't think he'd mind me sharing this. I think he, I don't think he worries about that a whole lot. I, uh, I tend to think in those terms a little bit more. He's only, you know, he's in his early thirties. He doesn't have a wife and kids at this stage of his life. So, He's probably fine, and remember, he came up under John Gruden. Uh, That's who he originally learned from, and he's very aware that Gruden has that's the Gruden pattern. You get up at three thirty a.m. You just that's how you work, and that comes kind of naturally to McVeigh. So, I imagine he will find a balance and dial back. I know he takes a vacation every year with his his parents and uh, his brother. I I would hope they did that this year. I don't know if they did, but. He'll have to. He'll have to adjust at some point in his life on that because he goes hard. There's no question.
0: Yeah, he said he did. He took a. He took a vacation with his girlfriend and, and his and his parents. So, uh, but it, it looks like he's he's champing at the bit to get going this weekend. And his number one task, Andy, is going to be developing Jared Golf. And I think it's safe to say that a large segment of this fan base is a little bit wary of what Golf is at this point. When you look at his film last year, but I know that you mentioned. He was so great with his pocket presence. He really hung in the pocket last year, uh, really in, in such a down season where your offensive line didn't perform. When you look at the film, what do you see in Jared Goff?
1: Well, I would, I'd probably call it pocket toughness in his case because um, as far as the presence goes, it's a, a fine line but an important one. You know, he, he probably has work to do in terms of moving in the pocket understanding the nuance spacing and how you can make your offensive line correct, even when they've been incorrect, just by moving and drifting accordingly. I think he's willing to do that. That's not easy to develop. Some guys never develop it and maybe come the first round bust. So I blame Jabber's the most glaring example. Uh, but those guys that never develop it, they don't have the pocket toughness to start with. And, and they're not willing to get hit. Ultimately, you want to not be getting hit. But if you're worried about getting hit and you're adjusting your game to avoid hits and you, you, and you don't have the pocket mechanics down yet, that's a problem. And that's how you don't develop. And Goff has shown no sign of worry about getting hit. He's willing to hang in there and, and, and play tough and stare down the gun barrel, as they like to call it. Um, so I think that's something to build on. That's a foundation that you can work with.
0: Sure. So, so his pocket toughness over his pocket presence at this point, I guess, is a, is a fair at way to say it. At this
1: point, but I, yes, I think he has the ability, though, to develop some pocket presence. I, he's he's got to get a little tighter in some of his footwork, and I'm not a, a super expert on this, but I, I watched him, I've watched every snap he's taken. I've talked to people who have studied quarterbacks for a lot of years, and the feeling is he's got to tighten up the footwork just a little bit. Um, and there's no guarantee he will. That's, all this stuff sounds small, it, 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 the quarterbacks, a bunch of really hard, small jobs put together. And you have to do them all correct.
0: Andy, when you look at this team on tape from last year, and I know it, it's hard, especially on the offensive side of the football with, with Sean McVay coming in, um, what was the glaring weakness last year? I think easily you could point to the offensive line, but, you know, Todd Gurley regressed and I think the, the wide receivers were subpar. Um, what do you think was the most glaring weakness on that offense?
1: Oh, I mean, it was, it really was pick, across right? the board. Yeah, I mean, it, when I don't like to be negative, I mean, these are professional players. You know, I think they deserve to be respected because they're all great in some degree. That's how they're in the NFL. Um, the Rams, here's what's true, though. The Rams could not even run basic inside zone running plays last year, which are just simple north and south between the tackles, run behind a double team. Somebody works up to a linebacker and blocks them. They struggled with that. And if you can't run that, it, it almost doesn't matter what level you're at, but especially in the NFL, you're not going to compete. And so once that became an issue, or once the offensive line walls were so glaring, Gurley then became a different runner. He got worse. Uh, he he got tentative in the times where the blocking did win. He didn't capitalize. And then when all of it was added together, and they, when you have this kind of scenario, you're going to see a lot more third down and longs. Well, they they didn't have the personnel to win on third down and long, I mean, they didn't have wide receivers who could win consistently one on one. So uh, it was a, a collection of things. They're still going to have issues. Uh, you can't overhaul the entire roster right away. Um, I think they'll be a little. I think they'll be designed to account for those issues a little more this year. They'll hide the weaknesses, but it, it's very much going to be a work in progress.
0: Yeah, with Aaron Cromer coming in to coach the O-line, he had a lot of success in Buffalo with, uh, with Shady McCoy and company. And then you, you get Andrew Whitworth coming in to play left tackle, which is an obvious upgrade. Couple that with what McVay liked to do with Bill Callahan. And the consistent, I wouldn't say elite, but consistent running game uh, that the Redskins had from time to time. Do you see Todd Gurley at least taking a step in the right direction? I ask people, I don't, I don't know if Todd Gurley is the guy we saw in year one or year two. And I think this is going to be a telling third season for him.
1: Yeah, I would bet you're, he's the guy from year one. He he is an extremely gifted runner, a great body. I mean, he's, he's big. You don't think about girl, he's a big guy. I think he's six foot three. I want to say, and he's got the thickness to accommodate that. He's not a lanky six three. So he has size. He has very subtle change of direction ability. It's almost imperceptible at times, and it's, a, it's an extremely rare form of make you miss ability. And then the other thing that you learn from being around him and being around his coaches is he's very smart and he is receptive to learning. In fact, I would even say the game probably comes easy to him. And it's going to be important for him to not let the game come too easy for him. He's going to have to be a professional at all times. Um, I think Gurley's going to have a, a tremendous career and I think he's going to be very good this season.
0: Moving to the defensive side of the ball. Andy Aaron Donald he's number 13 on your top 400 list and I suggest people check that out if they haven't already on the MMQB.com we're taping this on a Friday morning and it looks as if we have a holdout situation in Irvine right now Andy how much does this Rams defense change without him on the field
1: oh I mean it's going to change a lot just because of the the type of talent he is he's one he's one of the small groupings of guys in the NFL who can transcend your scheme he'll be great no matter what you do uh, he's got to learn a new system with Wade Phillips there. I don't think that will be as big a deal as people make it out. I think it's important he gets in the camp, but he needs to get the business side taken care of first. His market's high right now, and he, he has to cash in, and that's I, I certainly understand that. I think Wade Phillips will use him in a lot of one-gap stuff. So the presentation might be different. They might be lining up a little bit differently, but I think overall Donald's going to play mostly the same responsibilities that he did in the previous regime so if he shows up a little bit late I wouldn't worry a whole lot if he misses the first three weeks of the preseason maybe then some time to say "Ah, it's not ideal but um I I think they'll be fine with Aaron Donald there and they need him on the field obviously
0: yeah you know he's he wants to be one of the if not the highest paid player in the league and I think deservedly so and uh, they have some pieces there when you talk about Robert Quinn and um, you know Kayvon Webster coming over from Denver so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens but uh, moving over to the Chargers and you've got Joey Bosa at number 20 on your top 400 list how disruptive do you think that defense can be with Melvin Ingram and then Gus Bradley coming in to head this defense?
1: Yeah, I'm eager to see how Bradley uses those guys. What Ingram and Bosa have that makes them special, especially Bosa, but Ingram has it too, is lateral explosive movement in confined areas. So, in other words, they can go left and right and and beat you quickly that way. And offensive linemen, that's the hardest thing you can present to them because linemen are not laterally agile athletes typically. Uh, That's what they do well. You can also design a lot of stunts and twists around guys like that. Whenever the guys can move east and west, you can get very creative in your pass-rushing design. Uh, John Pagano did a very good job of that as San Diego's defensive coordinator, and I'm eager to see what Bradley does because he's really he doesn't design that stuff as much as Pagano did. He's a little bit more of a everybody line up and just rush the QB. They'll do stunts and stuff like that up front, but Bradley doesn't move his guys around. He doesn't disguise the front quite the same way Pagano did. So I'm eager to see what happens there in more of a straightforward scheme with Ingram and with Bosa.
0: Andy, what do you make of that secondary with Verrett and Hayward fitting into Gus Bradley's scheme? I know he's typically had some some bigger corners. How do you think they fit into what Gus likes to do?
1: Well, that's the other part I'm interested in seeing because those two guys you just named, are they're probably the best next to the guys in Denver off the top of my head. They're probably the best man-covered corners in the NFL, maybe maybe a Light hair behind Gilmore and uh, Butler in New England, but we're talking two really high level man to man defenders. And when you have that, uh, you can win on an island, and now you've got more bodies to use in the middle of the field. So you're more versatile with your safeties uh, to a lesser extent with your linebackers, and that's how your scheme becomes multiple. And so that's what you can use now. But in Bradley's scheme, it's largely matchup zone based. So he's not if he does what he did in Seattle, what he did for a long time in Jacksonville, he's not going to he's going to play those guys in a form of matchup zone coverage, which I, to be honest, think that kind of I don't think you're getting your full value out of those quarters if you do that so i I'm eager to see really i, I would hope Gus Bradley expands his system because he's got great guys up front and he's got great guys at corner, and those are the two most important parts of the defense. He's great in those areas he can do a lot more than just a straight cover three if he wants to.
0: Yeah, this is really a complete football team. You know, They, they blew six fourth-quarter leads last year, and uh, you had Phillip Rivers ranked number 88 on your list, so that's that's high praise there. Um, you always have a chance with him under center. What do you make of their prospects on the offensive side of the football? Kind of a, a revamped offensive line with Russell Okung coming in. You draft two of the three best interior linemen in this draft, and Feeney and, and Lamp. Uh, and then even without Mike Williams, let's say he does miss the season or a big portion. He got so many weapons with with Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry leading the charge there, Melvin Gordon in the backfield. Uh, I guess, what are your prospects for this offense?
1: Yeah, I think they're set in a lot of spots. That offensive line, uh, it's a little bit of an unknown because of the new pieces. You get the sense that they're trying to get more athletic overall up front, and you wonder if that means they want to do more zone running concepts rather than when you say zone, you think outside zone stretch runs rather than just uh, banging it up inside. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But you've got a field general quarterback who can own the game at the line of scrimmage. And he's got a lot more weapons around him now. And it reasons he probably has a better offensive line in front of him now. So I would expect Rivers, uh, he's been down statistically the last year or two. Some of that's on him. Some of that's on his circumstances. I would expect he'll bounce back and have a nice season this year. We don't know how moving to the new city is going to factor in. There's a human element, too. Uh, But just from an X and O football standpoint, they're in a better spot now than they were a year ago.
0: I want to get you out of here on this, Andy. You mentioned the Chargers are here now. And really, the Chargers and the Rams are in an arms race to compete. These guys need to win, and they need to win now. What's the ceiling and the floor for both of these teams in 2017?
1: Uh, in terms of wins and losses, yeah,
0: in terms of wins and losses,
1: I think the ceiling for the Rams would be ten, and that's an optimistic ceiling. Probably, um, the floor is probably four, and and then for the Chargers, the ceiling is the ceiling is probably twelve, and the floor is six.
0: That makes sense, and it's it's a wide ranging number, but you know what? That's the truth. You just don't know That's what to the expect NFL you. is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm excited. Training camps are finally opening up. He's Andy Benoit. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Benoit. Andy, can't thank you enough for your time. Hope to do it again with you soon.
1: All right, thanks, Chris.